to another panel hosted by SheProp. This one is about redesigning characters that we are very familiar with. It's new takes on old and familiar characters. And I am excited to talk to these incredible cosplayers because not only are we're going are we going to learn about some great construction techniques, but also the design element of it, which is something that when we're perfectly recreating a character or costume that we see is not really a skill that we get to use. Um, but before we get started, just to explain a little bit about SheProp. SheProp is a growing community that is focused upon supporting, empowering, and representing female, non-binary, and transgender cosplayers, artists, and makers. And you can watch these panels on SheProp YouTube channel or listen to them on the SheProp Top podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested in joining us over at the SheProp community, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we will add links in the show notes to help you find us. We would love to have you, and thank you for joining us. To introduce myself, I am Abby of Abby Cat Cosplay. I have been cosplaying for about six years now, and my first attempt to uh, redesign a character and um, create one that wasn't canon was my steampunk Wicked Witch of the West, which ended up doing really well in competition. So it definitely lit that spark in me. And it was something that I have done since then quite frequently. Hello, I'm Casey Renee Cosplay. I've been cosplaying for about seven years now. And um, my first original design was actually my second cosplay ever. I did Steampunk Poison Ivy, but I tried to do it in a way that I had never seen done before. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. And so I got addicted and I just kept doing it. Well, thank you for joining us. Hi, I'm Mia of Mia May Cosplay. I have been cosplaying for about eight years total, five years kind of seriously. Um, my first original design that I really went for, I would say would be my Victorian Venom costume. It was also the first costume I ever sewed. Um, and it was a really interesting uh, costume to kind of deep dive into the elements of historical costuming as well as really taking a character that has no business being in a Victorian dress and being like, hey, I'm going to put you into a Victorian dress. So it was, a, it was a really fun one to start out with. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Hi, I'm Sharon, also known as Sharon Rose Cosplay, she, her pronouns. I've been cosplaying since around 2012. My first cosplay ever was a white rabbit reimagined with kind of a punk vibe with a group of Wonderland cosplayer friends. But my first serious handmade redesigned cosplay was Captain America. And it was really fun to interpret Captain America as a woman from the 40s. And she was a redhead in my version. As she should be. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, I'm Shar from Shar Star Cosplay. I've been cosplaying now for seven years, and the first reimagined original take on a character was my Hello Kitty Thor, and it was a lot of fun. I've loved Hello Kitty since I was a little girl, and I wanted to have a fun, playful take on Marvel characters since they're one of my favorite genres. And thank well, you so much for having me. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today. Okay, so when it comes to 
cosplay. So much of what we do is recreating images that we've seen in comic books or on movies. Um, so when you're starting to do a new design for a brand new cosplay, something nobody's ever seen before, what is the first step that you take? Where do you start? Um, I, I think a lot of people can feel overwhelmed with that question. So I definitely want to hear from you about that. And Casey, let's start with you. Um, yeah, so I like to start with the color scheme um, in general. So like if I'm doing a Victorian version of Ariel, I'm going to like for her blue dress, I would kind of figure out, okay, color blocking. Like we know that she has this lighter blue or white colored undershirt and she has the black corset and then like the blue skirt. So how can I take that and place that color blocking into like, you know, a bustle dress or something like that? And then also considering like the, these things that that stand out about the character like if they have red hair or if they're a dragon like do they have dragon scales on it if it's like if it's something like a, a pokemon jajinga you kind of like try to find textiles and colors that you can kind of match to design to make this character pop um i find that color placement because i do mostly cartoons into like things <laughs> and I found color placement is my favorite part of it and just kind of getting those colors right and getting them to all line up to create this like basic design or take from the basic design. Does anybody take a similar approach or a left turn from that approach to designing an original character? For me, I'll add on to that. Um, one thing that I start with is how am I going to make this work with my body type? What's the silhouette going to be? And how can I keep it true to the canon character? And then if it's a mashup, what elements can I incorporate in that as well? It, it's something to think about when it does come to redesigning a character for our own body types, because pretty much no one on the planet has the body type of a cartoon or someone in anime because their proportions are so crazy. Um, so that's really redesigning there, even if you're doing a, a canon cosplay. And Sharon, you generally do armor yeah. or armor-like things. So when you're taking a character that is not armored and you're making it armor, what sort of what is the first step that you take? I, uh, I love what you both said. I definitely, that's where my headspace goes as well. I, I like to look at um, kind of the iconic design lines of that character. If you could recognize it from a silhouette, you know, Maleficent's horns, for example, are such a, a just naturally recognizable look. So um, when it comes to armor, I try to mimic sort of the inherent design lines, even if it was going from a dress to armor, are there certain shapes or textures or layers that we're seeing that's really true to that character? I like to try to reimagine what that could look like in an armored format. And if the character maybe had natural enemies you know, or in a, it's set in a specific kind of landscape or world. I think about if I had to be a warrior in this world, what would that look like? Is it beautiful medieval armor? Is it, you know, apocalyptic landscape? So I think that kind of your finishes, and that goes into the color story as well, your finishes and choices there sort of tell a story, even if you didn't know that character, what can you glean from the finishes 
to figure out what makes that character tick and how they operate in their world. Now, we do hear about people taking different spins on these characters, whether it's making it armor or making it steampunk or making it historical. So does anybody have a genre that they tend to go to to help inform their designs? And I can open this up to whoever wants to add to that. It looks like Casey has something. I like am obsessed with Rococo. So I will go anywhere from 1750 to 1780. And I'm just like, this is where I'm going to live. And I can place any character there and be like, yep, this is what I'm going to do. And then have a, like a wealth of knowledge of like what I want to do and what I want to take from each piece and where I want to place it. But that's like, just because I'm so passionate about the fashion during that time and so I'm just naturally drawn there. Like, and right now I'm really into the 1890s. So I'm just like, okay, how many of these things can I also throw into that era? Um, and so I think that's where I get a lot of my inspiration is I'm just like, why not make it Rococo? <laughs> Who's stopping me? No one is. And your costumes are gorgeous. So I am not going to stop. I'm going to encourage. I'll be like, what's your next Rococo costume going to be? Sarah Sanderson. <laughs> <laughs> no, answer that. Yeah, <laughs> my personal favorite is bunny suits. I love making bunny suits, so I'm compressing all of the character designs into essentially the size of a swimsuit and trying to figure out how to get that point across in a tiny little outfit. That's that's something I love doing. Currently, I mean, I go through phases, but right now I'm a hardcore bunny suit phase. Does anybody else have a genre that they pretty much stick with? Uh, for me. It kind of covers multiple, but I love glam. So I always say that I'm the love child of Elton John and Liberace. So if I can make it sparkle, then that's that's my jam. <laughs> and if you are taking an approach like a new take on a design or, or a genre, adding steampunk, adding Rococo. Are there any things that we should keep in mind? I, I know it's kind of a broad question, but are there rules to follow with those genres? I, I can speak to that a little oh. bit, if, if that's okay, if I can jump in there. Yes, yes. We haven't heard from you yet. I want to. <laughs> Um, well, I also tend towards historical, though my, my range is a little bigger. I'm anything from 1700s to 1940s. You, you know, I'll, I'll pick something in there. And I think that when you're picking a genre, in my opinion, it's really important to not get messy and mix too many genres together. So like if I was going for a 1760s French ball gown. I'm not going to add victory rolls to that wig and be like, oh, this totally works. And I think that it's important to pick a focus and not try and mix and match too many things. You're already mixing a character that is recognizable in one capacity and making it something new. And so then when you start getting too cluttered of mixing too many other elements into that. It's like, you know, you get the steampunk and then it's the 1700s and then it's, you know, this other character and then, oh, we're going to make it armor too. And I think that it can end up getting really messy and then people lose the character in that. So you kind of just have to like find your path and really focus in on your, your one point in that genre you're trying to translate. That actually leads in really well to the next topic I wanted to talk about, which is um, how does the character itself inform the designs that you're choosing to make? Um, and Mia, if you wanted to add more to that, so um, is there anything you 
add to the character's backstory or put them into a historical context and see what they would be doing. I mean, is there anything like that that you use to inform, especially historical cosplays? Oh, very much so. Um, I I think that a character's background is imperative when you're specifically with historical, but in any costume, you have to think, would this character be comfortable in the position I'm putting them in? Um, so for me, I wouldn't take a character that's supposed to be maybe like a peasant type character or a poor character or, you know, someone whose entire story is built on roughing it and building themselves up. I wouldn't take them and turn them into this glorious queen person. You know, but that's my personal choice because I don't feel like that would necessarily work for that character. So as an example, when I was working on my 18th century Leia, it was really important for me to think about where would Leia fit in? She was, you know, a princess. Alderaan was this, you know, gorgeous planet, had some extravagances. So I picked the French court. But I also, you know, took a... Uh, historical fashion style of, you know, those 1700s, those big wide ball gowns. And I simplified it because I didn't feel like Leia is about extravagance. I didn't feel like she was going to want to have all the ruffles and all the frou-frou and all of those things. So I had to take something that was naturally, you know, historically overdone and kind of draw it back while still honoring those types of dresses. And so, you know, looking at a character, where they come from, where their story, the types of costumes they wear, not just taking one costume and, you know, going off of that, but looking at their other costumes, the costume design that went into it, and making sure to honor that. Again, going back to Leia, most of her costumes were kind of geometrical, very kind of boxy. She wasn't really form-fitted. And so I wanted to keep even just my, you know, box pleat ribbons that's going down the side. I wanted to honor that kind of geometry of the Star Wars world. And Sharon, did you have something that you could add to this topic? Uh, yeah, I, I love the concept of really thinking about how would my character truly live in this period and what personalities and um, elements are innate to that character. So for, for She-Ra, I just recently did a uh, design of She-Ra and um, I know there's, uh, you know, old school She-Ra and then there's the newer one and I love both. Uh, and instead of kind of going the pristine uh, current, current route for the new, the new cartoon, I, I am older, <laughs> so I grew up with old school Shira. And I just thought to myself, what if they made a live action? What could that what could that look like? You know, she she has this the sword. Um, she literally goes into battle with these dark forces. And I just I didn't want it to be so uh, gory that we lose that kind of hope that is tied to that character. She's kind of this beacon of hope and strength. Um, but she isn't afraid to get her hands dirty. So when I designed her armor, I didn't want it to be pristine white. I wanted to uh, make sure that there were elements of battle damage. I wanted to make sure that her uh, armor actually looked like it was functional armor with her breastplate and her gauntlets. And I added, you know, segmented leg armor. Um, her cape, I decided to make tattered 
So I wanted it to look like if you saw me in my cosplay, you can imagine that I literally just took on Skeletor by myself and I won. <laughs> and inflicted a lot of damage. <laughs> well, you're She-Ra. She, of course, would have won. Of course. <laughs> I, I do a similar thing uh, with taking a genre, asking the question, why would my character be wearing this? So when I did my steampunk Wicked Witch of the West, um, I didn't want to fall into the trap of just putting goggles on your head and calling it steampunk. I was like, this person is in a historical era, but it's got all of these technological advances. And witches have brooms, they fly. So I decided I'm going to make my witch a pilot. And then I could design her costume around the idea of what if this witch was a pilot? Her broom is her her plane. That's technologically advanced. She has goggles to protect herself from wind burn. Like it, it allowed me to add those details and give her the backstory that made it so that the choices I was making made sense. And I wasn't just sticking things on her costume just to do it. One other big factor in redesigning characters is keeping them recognizable. So some people mentioned it a little bit about making sure the color scheme is there, making sure the silhouette is there. Um, but what are some other things that people keep in mind when making sure their redesign still reads as their character? Um, Char, did you have a thought on that? I did. So for example, my Thanos gown, um, the design was originally done by Michael um, Anthony and with his original take, um, the woman was not purple and the gauntlet was on the chest. So I took the liberty of making the changes. I felt that the Infinity Gauntlet is iconic and it should maintain that. And so I wanted to keep some of the key elements. That way, if you saw me, you still knew who I was. So I made myself purple. I made sure that I had the gauntlet. I tried to keep the same color scheme as far as the armor from a little bit mixture of both the Infinity game as well as the end game. And then from there, I took on the liberty of adding creative twists to it. Do people take similar approaches in their experience? <laughs> Mia, you're shaking your head. <laughs> Um, but does anybody have anything to add on that or expand? I think going back to making sure you don't add too many elements is really, really important. Um, and I love what you said, Abby, about not just kind of slapping on external details that are kind of recognizable for a given genre. It's how does the design as a whole look and become the character. I think it's a difference between decorating and designing, if that, if that makes sense, from like the ground up, from the core out. Um, how does this design as a whole read as the character, like Shar had said about really thinking about, I wanna make sure this is recognizable. So you decided to be purple, I think is like, yes, I'm embracing kind of through and through just the core of who this character is recognized as. Um, I felt that way with uh, my Maleficent and choosing to, to keep her green. Um, I know that with the new live action, um, 
you know, that she's not so green, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I wanted to imagine what if that live action movie did not exist and I got to make mine based off of the original animated color story. And that's, that kind of helped drive my story in terms of how I designed her. I like how you said it's the difference between decorating and designing. I, I think that's a great way of putting it. And, and also, Shar, you mentioned like the infinity gauntlet is iconic and, and, Thanos is purple. And some of those initial things were like a wicked, the wicked witch, she wears all black, she has a hat and she's green. And if you, if you cover those three things, that does most of the heavy lifting for communicating who you are, right. you know, so you, you cover your, your main points. Thanos is purple, infinity gauntlet, which is green. She's got a hat on and go from there. Exactly. <laughs> Has anybody uh, fallen? Oh, did you have something to add? Well, I was just going to take what you said and take it to another step of like, and one of the things I do in my process is, you know, I take the original character and like sometimes I'll even print it out and cover different elements of it and be like, okay, does this character still read? Is Leia still Leia without her buns? Is, you know, and going through and finding what, if I take this away, what removes that character? and then make a list from there. And that way I know going into my redesigner, like these are the points that I have to hit in hitting that that design. I think um, I think it was Sharon that mentioned the, uh, the silhouette earlier is like such a key thing of like, if you take your costume and you go down to just the core silhouette, if it's not reading any anymore as that character, what do I have to add back and making sure that those elements, as you guys said, have a backstory, have a function in what you're doing. Otherwise, you're just kind of carrying around a thing and you're like, I don't know, it's here. <laughs> Has anybody fallen into the trap of, of designing a character and losing it in the process of the design? Yes. <laughs> okay. Does anybody <laughs> want to share that experience with me? I can start. Okay. Um, my Sith, Princess Jasmine. Um, princess Jasmine's my favorite Disney princess, and I love Star Wars, and I wanted the idea of basically mixing her with Darth Maul. And by the time I finished it, she basically looked like Red Jasmine with a lightsaber. There wasn't enough Star Wars elements. So I felt that unless you saw the lightsaber, you would have no clue that I was in the Star Wars universe. And I struggled with trying to find that balance between Princess Jasmine and the Star Wars universe. And now I'm going back for research to try to redo her so that way it can almost read as if she's royalty from the Star Wars universe, but still true to the Princess Jasmine element. So it most definitely was a lesson learned. <laughs> Does anybody else have a story? Yeah, I feel like my Charmander was uh, a little ambitious. And um, I feel like if you were told that's Charmander, like you'd be like, yeah, okay, I, I, can t I can see that, okay. But I don't feel like it was iconic enough to really like link, okay, this is a Pokemon because it was a dress and people were like, why would a Pokemon be in a dress? And I'm like, because it's fashion. <laughs> um, and that's also kind of, I think where I went wrong was I was trying to make it fashion, but I didn't really pick like a fashion 
era or like a fashion moment. Um, so like, I didn't, you know, think, okay, I'm going to go with Alexander McQueen from, you know, 2009 in this show. Like I didn't do that. I just did fashion. Uh, and I think that if I had actually found a few fashion moments that lined up with it, it would have been like a, a pretty good costume, but where it landed was so in the middle that like people that knew who, like I was making it knew what it was. But beside that, it was like, I don't know, you're a Pokemon, really? You don't look like a Pokemon. So I think that that's something. And that's kind of how I've been informed, at least like the choices now when I design. I look for, like, if I do fashion, I'm going to do pick a fashion moment. Um, and that's kind of, and then, you know, that just goes into all of the other stuff of like doing the research and like thinking where does this character fit in this space that you have chosen. Now everybody nodded and said they lost it. So I want to hear their stories as well. Mia? Uh, mine, mine actually, the picture of it was on my little splash card for my intro. My pinup Peter Capaldi. Uh, <laughs> nobody ever guesses that that's who I am when I'm in that costume. And I have worn that costume, I think, three different times now because I love it. I think it is so much fun to run around as a pinup version of an old Scottish man. It is the best time at a convention. Nobody gets it, though, unless my best friend is next to me as pinup David Tennant. Um, they, they immediately are, they look at her and they're like, oh my God, you have like the red shoes and the 3d glasses and, oh, you know, I, I totally get it. And then they look at me and they're like, ah, old guy, like, I don't get it. I even met Peter Capaldi in my costume and he was like, and you are, you know, and, and it was one of those things where in hindsight, I don't think that I picked a character to begin with that had enough standout moments of himself to translate in a gender bend and then also translate as a pinup. And, um, you know, I have these little elements of his costume. I have his jacket that shows the red on the inside. I have his sonic screwdriver. But other than that, there's like, you know, when you think of his version of the doctor, he doesn't have that like thing that you know like Matt Smith or David Tennant had with the Fez had and the 3D glasses like he didn't really necessarily have as much of a moment and so translating that into a costume I, in a lot of ways I feel like it was kind of dead from the start but I also love wearing that costume still because I still really enjoy it so it's one of those things that I've accepted like no it doesn't translate yes I have to explain to people who I am but that's okay because I really enjoy myself and I really enjoy wearing it and how I feel in it and then when people get it they're like oh my god I get it and it's you know I think sometimes it's fine to have a character that doesn't work as long as you like understand why it doesn't work. I'm not going to run around and get offended because people are like, who are you? And I'm like, well, clearly this is who I am. You know, it, it, it didn't work and that's okay. You asked me to be a part of that group and I chose Dr. Nine, who is wearing black pants, a purple shirt and a leather jacket. And my pinup version of it is black shorts, a purple shirt and a leather jacket. And fortunately I can wear all those pieces individually. It's, yeah. I have a cute leather jacket together, now. If we were all together, it totally works. When I had the big group going, everybody totally got it. When I walk around on my own, they're like, nice hair. Yeah. <laughs> and Sharon, what about you? Um, my biggest challenge, I think, was my DC comic characters as the Gods of Mount Olympus group design that I did. Uh, specifically, I was 
Wonder Woman as Athena. Um, when I first sat down and tried to do this concept, all of the characters looked like Greek gods, did not look so much like <laughs> uh, Justice League characters. So um, I think the biggest hurdle that I had to overcome, which helped me tremendously, was first doing a tremendous amount of research on both counterparts of the mashup. So I researched those Justice League characters and the gods and kind of what design elements made both of them tick and which ones fit together appropriately. That, that I did, that took far more time than actually sketching and making the cosplays. Um, I wanted to make sure they fit well. So, you know, Zeus is the leader of the gods. Superman is the leader of Justice League. Um, they both are kind of like, they have a light, light, lightning, you know, beacon of light, symbolic of light, literal light element. Um, so for me, I think it was deciding, is it the gods with a touch of the Justice League or am I going for these need to be recognizable first and foremost as the Justice League character? Um, I think that's where I tend to get lost sometimes is getting way too focused on making sure it looks historical or battle-worn that I then sort of like lose the original character that it really needs to read as in the first place. Um, so just sort of taking that step back and reevaluating once I sketch this out, does it still read? If I showed this to 10 of my friends, would they immediately be able to say, I totally get what you're doing here? Um, this is really important. Do, do all of you take a lot of time to research? Like, I feel like a mad scientist. I research, I have a Pinterest board. I sketch a million different little things with notes about what they all mean. I don't know about you, you all. Yeah, I start with a Pinterest board always. Like if the second I start to have an idea, I just go to Pinterest and I make a board and I just start collecting things. And then when I get into the, like the actual research phase, I actually start going to websites that have like like accent garbs uh, and like things like um, historical books and stuff. I really like books as a resource. Like I just miss being able to crack open a book and like and go to the library and like find things you need. So I like to use books as much as I can, but the internet is so helpful too. So, um, I definitely, yeah, I start with Pinterest and then go to like the re when something has made it through the Pinterest phase, which is like a month, then I go and research. <laughs> I don't, I, I get an idea. I start like, just, I kind of obsess about it. I do that thing where you're like, I should go to bed. And then you lay in bed thinking for an hour. I'll do that. But I, I don't really sketch. Usually I, I just am like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Time to start cutting fabric. <laughs> it, it works for me. I know for some people, they would think that that is unprepared and you're winging it, but it works for me at that. I'm terrible at drawing. Absolutely terrible. Any sketch that I did would not really communicate much anyway. Like that's how I feel. And that's why drawing was so hard for me for a long time, but I kind of just bit the bullet and make myself sketch anything and everything that's in my head now. And even if it looks like garbage, I just use, I just do it just to kind of get that like feeling uh, and to start because I know that like the more you do it, the better you will get. So that's, I hope that's what'll happen. The other thing that I do is I kind of edit as I go. So I'll start out a project with a thousand ideas, like my witch broom, for example. I wanted knobs that turned and I wanted 
gears and wires sticking out of it. I wanted it to look like, you know, a technological marvel. And the more I started working on it and designing it, the more I would take those ideas away and simplify it and strip it down to the bare minimum so that I have something that I love. And I look back and think, where in the world would I have put that little thing that turns or that wire? Like, where? No, but I also edit as I go along. Any anybody else want to answer Sharon's question? Yeah, I can. I um, for me, it it ends up looking like um, like you know those scenes in like the uh, murder mystery uh, TV shows where they have they walk into the murderer's room and it's like everything's on the wall and you have like the strings between them. That's what my studio ends up looking like when I'm like big into a project because I am a very tactile person. And so I want to print everything out and then I draw on what I print out and I write notes. I have notebooks for a lot of my costumes where I'm constantly taking notes. And I like to see everything as like a big picture so that I don't um, end up getting too fixated on one area and then accidentally like sending the costume off in this weird direction that I can't always come back from. And you know, with my Leia costume, because it was really important to me to blend historical accuracy with the costume, I did two years of research before I even bought a single scrap of fabric. It was, um, I had every single pattern piece that I wanted laid out. I had, I had my husband help me translate from German to English and then from Imperial to metric. <laughs> like I, I became an absolute maniac really for that costume because there were so many different things that were important to me to do and like under knowing that that I understood all the various elements and like why they were there and why they were important to that costume and so it all ended up posted up really big in my studio and um there was like no wall space left it was just like stabbing stuff in and having little lines between them for me um on the I'm kind of a hybrid of everyone. An additional thing that works for me is I try to get either a doll or a figurine, either a Funko or something of the canon character, just so that way I can have a view 360 degrees and see what other elements that I might miss just to try to keep that true essence of the character there as well. But yes, I feel like it's most definitely a mad scientist experience and you get the eureka moment a lot of times while going through it and it's empowering but also sometimes a little scary because it's like whoa like is this going to be too much or is it going to be too little so but overall it's exciting <laughs> yeah, one thing i did want to Shar talk specifically to you about because i know you do a lot of mashups and we've talked a lot about how to keep your characters recognizable and how or what elements to notice but when you're doing mashups, you're having to do that for two characters and then incorporate it into the same costume. So all of the things we're talking about, how does doing it as a mashup add a whole new level of complexity to that? Sure. It most definitely adds a little bit of insanity, but it is fun. Um, frequently, most of my mashups involve Hello Kitty. So for example, um, I'll go into my Hello Kitty Thor and my Hello Kitty Panther. Um, with both of them, I wanted to make sure that they were recognizable as the characters. And I like puns, so I try to keep it punny. So for example, Thor wields Meow Janeer, and I made it pink and I kept the language the same. <laughs> that really tickled just the pants off of me. I love that. 
<laughs> you have to have fun with it. And I think that kind of helps spark the creativity with it. Cause I just wanted to be playful and still enjoyable in the process. Um, Hello Kitty Thor was very pink because I got the inspiration from a meme. All of the Avengers were basically decked out in Hello Kitty, which is actually my ultimate goal eventually is to do all of them. So I kept the silhouette of the movie Thor, but I also incorporated the classic helmet because I felt that was best to incorporate the cat ears. And as far as for Hello Panther, I thought that I did better with incorporating a good balance, but most people kept calling me Pink Panther, even though I was still in black. So I need to go back and revisit that. But basically, it's just fun trying to find that balance. And I usually, with Hello Kitty, it ends up being a hodgepodge as if Betsy Johnson got a hold of it. There's always going to be a pink bow. <laughs> so I've done, I've done probably more than one, but I can only remember one mashup right now where I did a Dota 2 character combined with a Sailor Scout. And there was a little group with it, um, but I have not worn it again since then because I feel like it wouldn't read at all without the group. Um, part of that is because not a lot of people recognize Dota 2 characters. Um, but do you find the same thing where you do these mashups on your own and people get it or, or do you prefer it in a group set? I've actually only done my mashups individually. I would love to have a group, but most people aren't really as interested or they haven't expressed the interest, which is fine. I don't want someone to be a part of it if they're not going to enjoy themselves. But it, it's kind of, unfortunately, it's hit or miss. Um, I would say my most successful mashup is probably my Hello Vader, just because I had Hello Kitty right in your face and tried to make it almost obnoxiously clear who it is so and I've learned to kind of accept that similar to um, what one of our fellow members said like it's just a really fun concept so I've have to accept the fact that someone might not always get it <laughs> I did just remember the other mashup I did I did Hogwarts Heathers and that nice. is one that I only do as a group because nobody will get it unless the other three Heathers are there that's but fair I, yeah but I, I like that you're just taking the approach of you do it because you want to, because it makes you happy and it doesn't, it, being recognized isn't as important in that case. Um, so are there any final thoughts that you wanted to go over about the process of redesigning a character? Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think our listeners should know about? I think it was, Briefly mentioned, but the concept of not being afraid to edit, even after you've started. Um, if you look at my design sketch compared to my actual finished on my body cosplay, you can tell that they're the same in essence, but a lot of times I've tweaked things as I've built because I've realized this was looking too busy or I thought it was going to translate from 2D to 3D the way that I, it was in my mind, but it, it's definitely not. So I guess just encouragement to, to not be afraid to change your mind. You know, if you decide as you're doing it, this isn't working or I want to push more in this direction for the character, you can totally do that and, and not be afraid to make those choices for your redesign. 
Does anybody have tips for somebody who might feel like they're in a creative rut or they don't, you know, either they're not taking their redesign far enough or they don't know, or they just hit block. Does anybody have any tips on how to get past that? Find something to get excited about. If it's adding a prop that you're really excited about, focus on the prop for a little bit. If it's one specific element that you find really inspiring, focus on that for a little bit and then, you know, let everything else kind of fall into place. And I think if you get, you know, if you find yourself in those design ruts and if you get frustrated too, because sometimes meshing stuff together can get really frustrating because you're like, it's just not clicking yet. Um, I had an art teacher that once told me if you're frustrated, you're learning. So just remember, like, you know, if you want to give up on it, that's totally fine. But if you don't give up on it and you push through it, then, you know, you're going to find something that is going to bring you excitement again and you can focus your attention there. Any other tips? Um, one thing I'll add is, and I'm very guilty of this, do not overthink it. Um, try to simplify things and then from there add on bit by bit. I have a bad tendency of overthinking and overcomplicating things frequently, and that can easily lead to frustration and discouragement. Well, I do have one final question for all of you before we wrap up, and that is, do you have an original design bucket list? And if you do, what is on it? And Mia, I'm going to call on you. Socratic <laughs> um, method this. <laughs> yay. Um, I have been really wanting to um, dive into a little bit uh, more of an Edwardian era kind of stuff. And one of the things I was thinking of doing is um, an Edwardian Mary Poppins. Um, mostly just because I think that Mary Poppins with the lobster tail bustle could be kind of interesting to look at. I guess that's kind of uh, Edwardian, Victorian, that kind of realm. I haven't, you know, really focused on it yet. But I've been wanting to play around with Mary Poppins and just kind of throw her into something a little bit more formal than just her walking dress and um, just kind of play with her a little bit. So that's something I've been kind of toying around with. So you're talking about her suit, the blue, that blue outfit? Yeah. Yeah. That would be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and Casey, what about you? Um, yeah, this is something I've been thinking about for a couple of years now is doing an entire series of like historical Disney, but not doing any princesses. Um, so like the first one that comes into mind is like the evil queen, but as like Queen Elizabeth or like... Um, uh what like vanilla as like a civil war ball gown things like that um characters that don't necessarily you don't always see like a historical rendition of them but the one that really like got the whole thing going was the kylo ren uh i don't know if anyone's seen that the edwardian kylo ren art that art like i just i saw it and i was like so can I justify an entire series of characters that are not Disney princesses because I want to. Um, so that's something that I'm actually like in the pre-planning stages of and trying to see if it's a realistic thing to do for next year. But that would be like my heart and soul. Like I just love Disney and I love characters that don't get appreciation. <laughs> I think you can justify it. Yeah. If you need anybody to thumbs up all of your ideas on, on Facebook, I'll do that to help you justify it. 
Okay. That sounds good. (laughs) And Sharon, what's on your bucket list? Um, Well, you know, I love foam, all the things, and usually that translates to armor, but another really deep love of mine is creatures, just the magic of non-humanoid creatures and how could I bring them to life even though I am not a creature <laughs> uh, so two on my list are I'd love to do the dragon smog uh, with lots of foam but then the other one which is lends itself I think more to this topic is a demogorgon but done in sort of a couture gown way where the petals or like mouth of the creature sort of almost this elaborate cowl. I think it will be equal parts glam and grotesque. And that'll be a, pushing myself in a new fashion direction. But I, I think that could be a really fun one to try something totally out of what I normally do. That sounds very cool. And what about you, Shar? Um, I, one of my bucket lists, um, I slightly mentioned um, the Hello Kitty Avengers. I do want to do all of them. So I don't know how long it'll take since I've only done two so far. I do have um, Hello America in the, in the works right now, but that's my next big thing. Well, and for me, I mentioned how I'm into bunny suits. Um, and I also tend to pick kind of weird characters, and I know that. And I wanted for, um, for Dragon Con this year, I really wanted to do a David S. Pumpkins and the B-Boys in bunny suits. Um, it looks like that ship has sailed. We've moved on to a different idea for next year's Dragon Con, but still that that is still in my head. I want a David S. Pumpkins bunny, and I want his tail to be black with a white streak. And, you know, I might just make it anyway. I can I can walk around in a pumpkin bunny suit. I'm fine with that year round. It doesn't have to be just for Halloween. Um, so thank you all very much for joining us today for the panel. Um, I do, before we end, I do want everybody to go around one more time and just let us know your name and where we can find you on social media and any final thoughts you might have. So we'll go in the same order I just did. So let's start with Mia. I'm Mia May Cosplay and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. And that's about it. Instagram gets a little weird for me sometimes. I post weird stuff on my stories, but go check it out. Okay. And Casey? Um, So I'm Casey Renee Cosplay. You can find me on Instagram and YouTube. And that's that's where all my stuff. Instagram is where everything is. (laughs) And Sharon? Uh, I'm Sharon Rose Cosplay. I am that handle under most platforms that I'm most active on Instagram. And I also have a website, SharonRoseCosplay.com. And Char? Uh, Char Star Cosplay. I am most active on my Instagram, but I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. And I'm Abby Cat Cosplay. You can find me there as Abby Cat Cosplay on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find all of us in the SheProp community. So this is a community that is welcoming to women, trans, and non-binary makers, artists, cosplayers. Um, Please come and join us. It's a really great and supportive space. And so thank you, everybody, for participating today. Thank you, people, for watching the panel and for listening to us on the podcast. I do also want to give a shout out to Monica of Geeks of GoGo and Mia, uh, Mia May Cosplay. 
Monica is providing us with all of the graphics. Mia is our editor. Thank you all to everyone for coming and talking with me today. Bye. Thanks for having me.